All right, I'm back. I'm eating an Oreo on mic. <laughs> what kind of Oreo? S'moreos. Oh, oh, that's what you said. I had never heard of they're, that. They're good as hell. Whoa. So is it like a graham cracker cookie? Mm-hmm. Okay. That sounds awesome. I'm really a fan of the uh, thin lemon Oreos. Oh, yeah. Because I feel like I can eat 10 of them, and it's fine because they're thin. And they're, you like, know? refreshing. <laughs> they're not, like, too sweet. Exactly. <laughs> I love them. Yeah, those... And then there you go. Java chip is my my other go to Oreo. Okay, so you're talking about Oreos I've never even heard of. So now I'm writing stuff down. Oh yeah, we're <laughs> we're deep into Oreo world. We might as well be doing Java chip. We might as well be doing an Oreo podcast yeah. at this point. That's, I was just <laughs> thinking next. about that. Yeah, once we hit it big with this one, that's going to be Jeremy's first offshoot. Is like reviewing yeah. flavors of Oreos while eating them on mic. <laughs> it's going to be a very specific audience for that one. <laughs> Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, author of the new book, Funky But Make It Depressing, A Comprehensive History of Sad Boy Soul. <laughs> oh, I'm first in line for that book. Oh, yeah, yeah I'll that... send you the pre-order link. Don't worry. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Jeremy will eat that right up. He, Yeah, he was just telling me about how much he loves Sad Boy Soul. Yeah. And that might be foreshadowing to the episode. Maybe. Might be. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm co-host Jeremy, and I just wanted to tell you guys that I got the venue I wanted. Yeah? Yeah, to perform my dance quintet. You know, my song cycle. Oh, I know all about it. I just I want you guys to come and take notes if you can. You want us to come take notes? Yeah. By the way, it's the tenth. <laughs> Whoa! I don't. That went over my head. Of all the people to get that, I would think it would have been Peter. Yeah, it would have if, if I wasn't looking up something because I just realized I wasn't ready to do my title. <laughs> I wasn't listening to him. Yeah, you got to be on top of things if you're going to catch these Big Lebowski references going on. That's true, Peter. Oh man, I missed a Big Lebowski reference. I guess I'll just have to catch it. When I listen back to the episode. <laughs> and I am co-host Peter Cook. And I'm going to be starting a new company manufacturing some sports gear. Yeah? Yeah. We're going to start with the OV right catcher's mitt. <laughs> this is like a baseball reference that I don't know. Yeah, so... We're going to make the OV right catcher's glove and we're going to, to promote it, we're going to create this series of videos on YouTube where I'm wearing the OV right catcher's glove and we're going to get some of the fastest pitchers out there today and they're going to pitch the ball. I'm going to catch it with the glove and, you know, it's going to each time it's going to be like a 110 mile per hour fastball 
glove grabs it and I turn to the camera and I say, that's how strong my glove is. Okay. <laughs> he brought it home was... right at the end. Okay. Yeah, I had no idea where you're going for so long. I did bring it home. I was with Jeremy. I was like, I don't know shit about baseball. I don't get these references. <laughs> I brought it home right over home plate. Mm-hmm. Well done. <laughs> and joining us today as our guest is the director of programming and production at the Kalamazoo State Theater. That's my venue, by the way. Oh, oh, is the Kalamazoo State <laughs> Theater is your venue? <laughs> She's also the host of New Standards at WYCE 88.1 FM in Grand Rapids and the founder and owner of Dizzy Bird Records. Welcome, Nicole LeRae Leach. Yes, it's great to be here. I'm also the defeater of the daily New York Times crossword puzzles. That's that's something to brag about. Those things are not easy. It's. It, I thought I was supposed to um, just make up some other thing that I did, which is which I do the crossword daily. But you guys really took it to a comedic level that I did not, so I failed you there. Well, we've done it 180-something times, so we get bored and we have to just go way uh, in the weeds with it. Yeah, a lot of our early ones were more like what you just said, so you're you're fine. You're in, sure. You're in good standing. And okay, good. I haven't failed yet. No, no, no. And it's it sounds like you brought us a, a pretty darn good record. What did you bring us? I would like to think it's pretty special because... I brought you today O.V. Wright's 1977 release titled Into Something Can't Shake Loose. And um, it was released by High Records, which is a division of Cream Records. And it was recorded in Memphis uh, at Allied Recording Studio. And I find it to be a perfect example of Southern Memphis soul and a lot of people, when I was researching this record, were calling this genre, quote, deep soul, uh, because it has a Southern flair to it. So I'm very excited to get into it with, with you all about this record. Music from the deep South. Indeed, it really is. And where would you like to start? What song would you like to play first? You know, I think that the title track, which is the opening track, you know, it starts out with OV's isolated vocals with a little bit of piano before it drops in with the rest of the instrumentation. And I just think it's a great place to start because you can get a really good vibe of where the rest of the record is going. Excellent. Well, let's start with Into Something, Can't Shake Loose, Side A, Track 1. Got into something I can't, I never will, I never will, I never, never will, Ooh, never will, never, never will. Shake it loose, no. 
that voice is, I mean, obviously so potent and feels like gospel right out of the gate. And there's good reason for that. But it, just listening back to that again, it reminded me of a quote O.V. Wright said at one point in his life where he describes soul as just being gospel, but you just replace Jesus with baby. <laughs> <laughs> that is perfect. Yeah, and you can, like, I was thinking about that as I was listening to that, and I'm like, oh, this is, I mean, it's those same feelings of just, like, being overwhelmed by a thing. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the early soul hits, especially these kind of rootsier soul songs like this, a lot of times were just gospel arrangements with the lyrics replaced. Like, <laughs> it's a direct line for sure. Well, and, th- and think of like how many singers we've talked about on this show where the first part of their bio is they grew up singing in church. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Most of those guys got started in these choirs and we're gonna add one more today (laughs) (laughs) no surprise you know one of the first things that uh struck me with listening to this record is it does not sound like 1977 on this album at all especially like looking up other records that came out around that time i mean it's hard to think that this was on the shelves at the same time as like parliament's funk and telekey versus the placebo syndrome or our previously featured earth wind and fire all in all like completely different production sounds styles this record is it's doing its own thing for sure yes absolutely that was a good song to begin with as well because as you said his voice is sort of isolated it's very minimalist at the beginning and then it kicks in (laughs) and there is at least yeah it doesn't sound like other 1977 albums but some of the production is still clearly of that time so it kind of tripped me out when it kicked in when it first kicks in yeah what a voice yeah absolutely it does sort of to in particular that track has a little bit of a disco sound which kind of makes sense for that time but that instrumentation immediately i thought okay this could be played on the dance floor anywhere during this time, even though it's quote unquote deep soul and has a strong gospel influence with Southern Roots, I still thought, you know, if somebody dropped this at Studio 54, people would love it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, where's the extended, the 12 inch extended mix of it? (laughs) Indeed, that's what we need. But yeah, OV, he, began singing in his church choir and you know he had his own gospel music group the harmony echoes was their name um and that's how he was discovered uh, by roosevelt jameson who was a songwriter and a songwriter of that particular track too that we just heard uh, he wrote that and uh, he also served as ov's manager for some time in his earlier days now how did ov come onto your radar nicole or this album or just his music in general the day i acquired this album was the first time i had ever heard him and the story goes like this so it was i actually know the date exactly which usually i wouldn't know for just any record that i have but i happened to be in chicago for riot fest in 2016 and i remember it was the saturday of riot fest 
and I looked up that date. So it was September 17th, 2016. And I walked into Logan Hardware Records in Logan Square, which now is permanently closed as of 2018, which is a bummer. Um, But that neighborhood was rapidly changing at that time. And Logan Hardware Records largely dealt in used inventory. So they had a ton of bargain bins. It was just one of my favorite places to go and check out, uh, you know, what was in the used bins because they always had really well curated selections. So we walk in there, it's me and a few of my friends and uh, we're hanging out before heading to the festival. And right when we walked in, it was quiet in the store and the clerk put on an album and he had just started it. And that song that we just heard started playing. And I thought, what is this? And then I kept shopping and I went up to him once he flipped the record over and I said, what are we listening to? And he showed me that he handed me the sleeve of the record. And I said, are you selling this? Is it available? And he was like, yeah, actually, I haven't even logged it into the system yet. So if you want it, let me know. And I said, I do. I would like it, please. Thank you. Then I went and continued to shop. Then I went to check out and I had four records I was going to buy. And he said, I'm going to throw this fifth one in for free. He just gave me this record. He hadn't logged it in or anything yet. And so while I was paying him, my friend came up and said, this record we're listening to, is it for sale? (laughs) (laughs) And he he was like, you're about 60 seconds too late. Your friend just grabbed it. (laughs) So I felt very victorious that I had got this record. And the corner is clipped off of it. So that led me to believe that it was likely a promo copy or perhaps like a cutout copy that, you know, retailers would get when they would, you know, get the uh, wholesale discount and they cut the corner so that the retailers wouldn't be able to send the records back to the distributor for any refunds. And also so that they could not sell those discounted copies at full price. So it's got the corner clipped out of it. Um, the record was in really beautiful shape. So I felt like I won that day, even though, uh, and I can't even tell you what the other four records I bought that day were. I definitely know that this one came home with me though, because I felt like it was such a win. Wow. That's a great story for how you acquired this album. (laughs) (laughs) Might be one of the best we've had. I was very excited. Very cool that I got it. So I got it for free. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's one of my, I love pulling it out and pointing it on when I'm having a party, especially side A. I just feel like the whole thing flows as one really beautiful side of a record. I love that story, too, because I shopped at Logan Hardware all the time when I was in Chicago. That was my favorite store there while they were around and uh, had similar experiences. They're always playing great stuff. They always hooked you up at the register. Cool store. Yeah, Absolutely. We've given our listeners tips for how to shop at a place that is sadly no longer yeah. in business. <laughs> you know, they did have an in-house record label there called Not Normal Tapes, and I believe that is still functioning. So if you are interested in supporting uh, those guys, you might want to check them out. I believe it was more of like metal and punk, but I could be wrong. I, I'm not that uh, familiar with 
not normal tapes, but I know that that was their in-house record label at that store. Yeah, I would based on their name, sounds like <laughs> punk or metal, but who yeah. or or mm-hmm. experimental noise or something. Who knows? But very cool. Yeah. Well, we've talked a little bit about Ovi's background. Did we want to go into a, a, a little more of that, or do we want to play another song first? I think I'll throw in there. You mentioned O.V. hooking up with songwriter and producer Roosevelt Jameson. And I read an interesting story about how, you know, O.V. was singing with these gospel groups and Roosevelt had written this song that he, he was like, tried to sell the stacks and they were like, yeah, nah. And he was trying to shop it around and he met up with OV that he knew from the like gospel circles and was like, Hey, you should sing this song for me and uh, record a demo at my buddy's like little label thing. So OV agreed to do it. And the song is that's how strong my love is. Oh yeah. As alluded Mm -hmm. to in my intro. (laughs) Yeah. So that was the first secular song OV did. Um, and it was released on Gold Wax Records, which was like just one of Roosevelt's like buddies' little label kind of things. And then, yeah, that song ended up. Well, Otis Redding somehow got a hold of it and decided to record it, and his version went to number seventy-four in the Billboard charts. Then, like a bunch of people did versions of it: the Rolling Stones, the Hollies. Young Bloods, mm-hmm. Percy Sledge, Taj Mahal. Yeah, I first heard that song not through Otis Redding, but through Roland Gift from the Fine Young Cannibals did a version oh. of that song on the Beautiful Girls soundtrack. Oh, interesting. <laughs> really? I did not know that. That is very interesting. I also thought it was interesting that uh, Otis Redding recorded it just one year after OV did. Yeah, it sounded like somebody with gold wax records somehow like got it into Otis's people and got him to listen to it. And then he was like, Oh, the song rules. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And he the version that he did Otis Redding, that tends to be the way that other people who cover it perform it. It's different from OV's mm-hmm. version. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, Otis Redding's also, I know you mentioned the billboard chart, but the R&B billboard, it went to 18. I wonder how O.V. felt about that. Yeah. Yeah. Probably mixed feelings. (laughs) Because he didn't have a lot of commercial success. So I wonder if that really ground his gears. Yeah, maybe. But it also kind of shined a spotlight back on him, I would think. And kind of helped his career take off. So, I don't yeah, know. sure, sure. And I suppose the medley, the medley on this record on side B does have a couple of covers too. So he covers Percy Sledge's "When a Man Loves a Woman." Yeah. So it, maybe that's just how it was more back then. Is you know, you do my song, I do yours. Let's see, you know, what the people like the most. I wonder if uh, Ov Wright was happy when uh, Aretha Franklin took respect from Otis Redding and made it her own. (laughs) That's what it's like, Otis. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Cool. Well, let's play another song for the people. 
What uh, song did you have next? I mean, should we do That's How Strong My Love Is since that's what we're discussing? That might be a good segue. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. That The track That's How Strong My Love Is on this album is actually the third part of a three-song medley on side two. Nice. Well, we will cut to that part of the medley so that people can hear. Hear how strong your love is? Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) If I were the son of death, I would glow with love. My math is correct. This version is 13 years after he originally recorded the song. Truth. And it doesn't seem that he has allowed other more popular interpretations to change it too much, at least from what I can hear. It seems like he's still doing it his way. Yeah, I hear that too. Yeah, he did the original. It's his song, effectively. (laughs) originally out of his voice and it kind of feels like there's more of a weight to it 13 years later for him. i mean think about like some of the opening lyrics so you can see that i'm still around singing that in 1977 is kind of a survivor of the soul music scene having seen like you know otis redding passed away well before this and mm-hmm. a lot of other guys still aren't doing it anymore or haven't survived the changes in style and He's still around. OV. That's a good thought. And I also wanted to look up OV, what it stood for. And it's 
Overton Virtus. Yeah, super catchy uh, name. (laughs) (laughs) Now I know why he went by OV. (laughs) But pretty cool. I had never heard anyone named Overton before looking that up. Do you have a lot of friends named Virtus, though? (laughs) Yes, yes. Tons of Virtus. Something also that I'm noticing on that recording, on this particular recording, is the strings and the Hammond B3 and those background harmonies. It's such a beautiful piece when all of those things come together. Yeah, that whole medley just killed me. I've been, I was new to OV right when Nicole, you know, brought this record to us and I've been like obsessed with it. And just listening to it over and over, and that medley especially. I generally don't like medleys, but yeah, you've you've stated that before on the podcast. Yeah. You're you're not a medley man, but yeah, this one kills me. Yeah, the whole record kills me. It's just that that great sad boy soul. <laughs> yeah, no, I really wasn't too familiar with him. I knew him by name, but looking into him, I really can't say aside from that's how strong my love is. I didn't know much more about him. So, yeah, this is a a good one to bring to the podcast. Sean, how familiar were you with OV Wright? I've actually been an OV Wright fan for quite a while. When I first started diving into soul music after signing on to do the soul-themed radio show, one of the earlier subgenres that really stood out to me was that deep soul kind of sound. You know, I, I knew I loved Stax and Otis Redding, and I wanted to dig a little deeper, found OV Wright, James Carr, Syl Johnson, the Gold Wax label that we mentioned before is a really strong label for that sound. So you can dig into their their mm-hmm. whole catalog from that time period. And High Records as well. I always loved that sound. Huge Al Green fan. A lot of the arrangements on here, you can tell it's the same guy who arranged for Al Green. There's a lot of similarities there. But it's it's just such a good, rootsy sound. Very blues and gospel influenced. Love this stuff. I believe that's Willie Mitchell. Yes, it is. Yeah. Be the yeah, the producer also worked a lot with Ann Peebles. Yeah. Yep, and he was co owner of High Records as well. And then he had his own records more in the sixties that are kind of instrumental soul rock crossover stuff, but his production work with the main artists on High Records is pretty legendary. It seems like a good point to maybe Talk about the players on this album. It does. Since we dropped uh, a ranger, producer, engineer, Willie Mitchell already. Yeah. What, do you, what else do you have for us? Yeah, piano duties in the liner notes, it says James Brown, but I'm just going to assume that's a namesake and not James Brown as we know, James Brown. Uh, I'm, I'm looking it up right now, and it is a different James Brown. He was a session player who played piano and organ. Also worked with Al Green, Jim Post, The Natural Four, John Prine. Oh, wow. Yeah, and Ann Peebles. Probably uh, probably a session player with high records, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. I wonder if anyone ever pointed out to him that he had the same name as <laughs> Probably James no Brown. one. <laughs> All right, sir, you're Jimmy Brown yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, I think James Brown would, like, take that up with him. We got to talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. There's also the, there's a group of musicians, the high rhythm section, who are on a bunch of high records. 
they're playing with Al Green and Ann Peebles and a lot of that stuff. And a bunch of them are brothers, the Hodges brothers. You got Leroy Hodges on bass, Teeny Hodges on guitar, and Charles Hodges on the organ. That's so cool. Yeah, that's wild. And Teeny Hodges wrote the song Take Me to the River that the Talking Heads and Al know, Green. many others yeah, yeah, popularized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa. Interesting. I, I did not know that. And also the Memphis Horns and Strings. Yeah. I believe are across this entire record. Yeah. Yep. Memphis Horns did the, the horns on it, obviously. They've played with all kinds of huge names. Aretha, uh, Doobie Brothers, Willie Nelson, U2, Alicia Keys. Were they on, were the Memphis Horns on the replacements Can't Hardly Wait, the, that song that on uh, Please to Meet Me? I feel like that was probably recorded in Memphis. Uh, probably. <laughs> They've been on so yeah. much stuff. Yeah. The answer is yes. <laughs> I looked it up. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. Can't Hardly Wait, featuring the Memphis Horns. Yeah. <laughs> nice call. Thank you, Sean. Um, they, they started as the, the Stax Records horn section. The Memphis Horns are basically on every Stax recording. And then after that, they were just the, like, the most in-demand horn section if you wanted that southern sound. So yeah, they played with everybody as a result. Wow. The other players that are part of the high rhythm section howard grimes on drums he also played with stacks some no relation to frank grimes from the simpsons absolutely not <laughs> just wanted to make sure and then archie turner on piano who was actually willie mitchell's stepson and willie mitchell kind of taught him a lot of music things and he was like buddies with the Hodges brothers in high school. So it's all this like tight knit family kind of vibe going on with this thing. And then uh, finally you got Michael Tolls on guitar and sitar. And he was in the Bar Hayes and has played with Isaac Hayes. Hey, you're a poet. You don't know it. Good grief, Peter. <laughs> Just trying to peppered up a little you didn't like my boring list of names <laughs> that was well researched there you, you brought well researched <laughs> that was about as backhanded as it comes <laughs> that's great this is a fantastic sounding record so it makes sense that the people working on it would be well versed in working with each other yeah of course, I think that it would have been a winning record even if a bad band had backed him up because his, his voice could probably carry through just about anything. Yeah, it's nicer having a, a non-sucky <laughs> band behind it, though. Yeah. Sean, I believe, brought up James Carr. Mm-hmm. And James Carr, when he's listed, sometimes it says James Dark End of the Street Carr. Yeah, that was his big hit. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, which I, that's when I first heard through the Flying Burrito Brothers version and mm -hmm. then came to learn the James Carr version, which, yeah, both versions are beautiful, hauntingly beautiful. I think it works as a, hey, this is my song, 
and now you know it, but it also works as it's my middle name. Don't mess with me. My middle name is Dark End of the Street. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mess with that guy. Well, let's get back to a little history with Ov. His first album came out in 1965, and that was If It Is Only For Tonight. He put out his first five albums on Backbeat Records, and he had kind of a string of minor hits. Um, he was more popular in the South, but he never like caught on in a like national big way. And he unfortunately got involved in drugs and was incarcerated in Texas in the mid-70s at some point. Looks like there's a, a gap between 1973 and 77 on album mm -hmm. releases, so mm -hmm. maybe right around that time. It was right then, absolutely. Yeah, and that's also when he switched over to High Records, and this is the album we're covering is his first release on High Records. But he would go on to put out two more records with High Records, but was having failing health through this time. Uh, he was, you know, into drugs and drinking and living a hard life. And his heart started getting bad. He had a major heart surgery in 1978 and just kind of kept degrading from there with health issues. He did put out one last record that was a gospel album. He kind of came back around full circle and put out an actual gospel album with the Luckett Brothers called Four and Twenty Elders. And that was in 1980, shortly before he passed. Yeah, it was like November of 1980. Yeah. Yeah, and I was reading an account. Johnny Rawls was with O.V., um, as he was passing and was talking about he was staying with him because he was having marital problems and he's having drinking problems. And they tried to take him to a hospital, but they were like in the middle of nowhere. And the doctor just kind of threw up his hands and was like, I deliver babies and like fix broken arms. Like I don't mm. like something serious is going on here and I, I can't help you. So they up and left and drove like a hundred miles to mobile Alabama, the nearest big city to where they were. And he was just gone by the time, mm. by the time they actually got there. And how, how old was he at that point? He would have been 41. Oh, geez. That's how old I am right now. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard when you <laughs> put a musician's life up to your own. You're like, wow. Yeah. yeah. And they said it was heart failure. Is that correct? Heart failure? Yeah. Um, I guess he had like fluid in in his internal organs and stuff, it said. And yeah, he already had had multiple heart issues going on. So it's kind of a beautiful thing that his last record, his goodbye record, was back to his roots of gospel. Yeah. Yeah. It feels. Uh, fits a narrative. Mm-hmm. Well, on that deeply sad note, what song would you like to to play next for the people? 
I would like to do the second. I would like to do side A, song two called "I Feel Love Growing." Mm, yeah, this might be my favorite on the record. It's so good, and it, it, it's just a, it's a perfect second track. You know, I think the intro title track it gets you hooked, and then you're already in, and the follow up is just it. It's something a song that pulls you in even more and allows you to sink into the record as a whole. Yeah, I imagine when you were first hearing this in the store and this song came on, you were like, I I, I want to know what this is. I really want to know what this is. I believe this is the exact song when I asked, who are we listening to and is this record for sale? <laughs> nice. So you're right on that. All right, well, let's check that out. What's kind of interest well what's interesting about this is it's the B side as well to a 45 the A side is I don't do windows oh yeah and I really want to hear that song now <laughs> uh, yeah it's funny because uh, when I, before I thought to come up with my fake occupation of the OV right catcher's mitt the glove I had thought like about trying to make some I don't do windows <laughs> type of play, but I'm like, but it's not on the album. I haven't heard the song. <laughs> so. That would have been a reach. You're more of a Mac guy. You don't do windows. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. Really could have uh, yeah, leaned into that. You know, I, I wonder if I was just listening to that track. 
you guys are all familiar with the, uh, sadly, now no longer with us, but more recent soul artist, Charles Bradley. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking of that, uh, listening to this whole record. You know, he always, I know that he had been a James Brown impersonator and, and obviously mm-hmm. was influenced by Otis Redding, but I really started to wonder if uh, O.V. Wright had been an influence on him as well. Especially when he gets into those screaming aspects or those wails, it really does remind me of Charles. I was fortunate enough to meet Charles, I want to say four times. I hosted him at the music venue I used to run in Grand Rapids in 2013. When he was sick. And then he was sick at that one. He was one. so sick. I saw and that. And essentially it was... Him and I backstage and I went and got him some pho and made him tea and made sure he was comfortable. And really, we just hung out and talked. And the fact that he went out there and laid it down as hard as he did with as bad as he was feeling at his age, sincerely I already loved and respected him so much, but it just elevated to another level. Mm -hmm. And he then came back to Grand Rapids to play, I want to say, Art Prize maybe two years later. And he remembered me. We sat and talked again. And, you know, I went to the show and he was just so full of love. And I don't know that I've ever met another human who just felt so incredibly genuine and grateful and i heard about his death when i was driving and i pulled over and just lost it Mm. because even though i had only met him a handful of times he felt like such a close friend and i'm sure a lot of people who have met him feel that way yeah i was at that 2013 performance in december of of that year and uh, at first, I didn't even know that he was sick, and then it started to show as his performance went on. I think he had to sit down, and that he had just explained yes. to us, like, I shouldn't be on this stage right now, but I did not want to let you all down. <laughs> and it just he and he just seemed like the most sincere and just so grateful uh, for his you know his career, and and I'm just so happy right. that he was able to get the exposure that he did in his lifetime. He was one of the greatest performers and just most beautiful humans I've ever witnessed. Yes, absolutely. We gave him a, he came into WYCE and did an interview as well. One of those times, I can't remember which, and we sent him off with one of our winter hats. And then he sent us a photo when he was back in Brooklyn. He was in the kitchen chopping some vegetables up and he was wearing the hat and I was so excited that he was bopping around Brooklyn with our radio station's hat on. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, thank you for for sharing that. I just I started to get sidebar some, Charles Bradley. <laughs> yeah, I, I started to get some some Charles Bradley vibes on that song. So worth worth mentioning him. He deserves Charles deserve Ov deserves some attention, and so does Charles. True. <laughs> It does make me curious. I didn't seek out any like live footage of Ov. I don't know what he was like as a performer. Does, has anyone found anything or Ooh, checked that out? I have not ever. I have not ever looked at that. Yeah, I didn't look 
for any of that either. There's there wasn't even a lot of his recorded stuff yeah. super available online. Yeah, so I'd be so. curious to find out what he was like as a performer. Yeah, I just have no idea. Hmm. I'm looking at the lyrics of "I Don't Do Windows," and essentially he's telling his love interest that he doesn't do windows he doesn't wash paint you got to find someone else for that kind of thing i don't mind rubbing the floor but old-fashioned loving is as far as i'm gonna go (laughs) (laughs) oh gotta gotta hear it now gotta seek that one out absolutely (laughs) interesting well this feels like a good time to turn my head to the left here to my friend sean and say, Sean. Oh, that's me. <laughs> What's up? Can you think of some other albums that are kind of like this one? I could probably think of a few. I might have even thought of a few earlier and written them down for reference. Even. Oh, he's not putting you on the spot? <laughs> no, I've, I've picked up on the consistency of this question. I'm prepared now. Up until now, it's caught me by complete surprise every time, <laughs> every but time. I think I've got it down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, we're finally getting it together here. Mm-hmm. Professionals. True. My first recommendation, and the record that is the most similar to this one, would be by a guy named Otis Clay. Did a record called I Can't Take It. Also came out in 1977 on High Records. So you got basically the same players and producer and similar style. So... That's it's a great place to go if you want some more deep soul from the 70s that's largely influenced by the late 60s and early 70s in a lot of ways. Another record from the High Records catalog in 1977, the previously mentioned Anne Peebles. Check out her album, If This Is Heaven. So Otis Clay is like the most direct representation. Anne Peebles is definitely more on the soul side of things. So, again, so with a good. very similar sound. So good. Absolutely. Does that one have I Can't Stand the Rain on it? Or, or was that early? No, that's an earlier one, I believe. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And then if you want to explore more of the direct gospel influence to his sound, I would recommend the Dixie Hummingbirds, We Love You Like a Rock from 1973. That's a bit later record for them, and they're kind of exploring a little bit of a pop and rock and funk crossover sound there with the traditional gospel quartet. Excellent album to dig into. And my final suggestion, a fourth suggestion, if you want to go into more of the blues sound, I would recommend an album by the great B.B. King called Indianola Mississippi Seeds from 1972. For my money, Like the majority of B.B. King's catalog is kind of cheesy and doesn't really do anything for me. But that one in particular has a real funk edge to it and kind of a darker tone than a lot of the other stuff he was doing. And I love that album. I recommend that one to people all the time. It's got an iconic cover of a watermelon that's been fashioned into a type of guitar. Well, yeah, I was was just thinking we feel like B.B. King hasn't come up very much on the podcast but we really just haven't touched on much blues yeah i don't don't think any of us really collect a lot of blues records so it doesn't come up as often (laughs) yeah blues dads drove up the prices on all the the blues stuff (laughs) (laughs) you know i've been finding that fans of the blues genre 
tend to be very frugal with their money. Really? Yes. So they don't want to pay for concert tickets. They probably do appreciate a bargain bin hunt because um, they tend to complain about how much shows cost. That's because they spent all their money on blues records. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they bought them all. Yeah. 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 You could, uh, I, you know, we, that could be a whole separate podcast, Nicole, that you could do of uh, breaking down the, 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 the audiences of various genres and what to expect. <laughs> sure. Yes. I could absolutely do that. Yeah. That would be, there would be a lot to talk about. Is Sean the recommended album person or may i recommend something that i feel could be related a little bit to this record no please do i i don't gatekeep on this okay okay cool i wasn't sure if i was allowed so when i found this next record that i'm going to talk about i found it at corner record shop and when i put it on it reminded me a little bit of the sound that ov Wright was laying down on this record and i think it's because of the grittiness This record is called I'm a Loser by Doris Duke. And it was released in 1970, but it's become one of my other favorite, most treasured records because it just has something special about it. It's also kind of hard to find, but the style and the cadence and the vocal work I feel is very similar to this OV Ray record. So if you have a chance, check out Doris Duke. I'm a loser. It looks like I put that in my Discogs want list six months ago, but I do not remember <laughs> anything about it, but I must have liked it at one point. Wow, Sean, it's <laughs> like you come across records all day long and can't remember each yeah. and every one of them. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Well, yeah, thanks for adding on one more thing for our listeners to keep an eye out for if they're looking for similar sounds to this uh nicole and and while you're with us why don't you if you would like elaborate on the things you do and where people can find you at doing those things Ooh, okay you can find dizzy bird records online at dizzybirdrecords.com you can check out 88.1 FM WYCE online at WYCE.org. We are streaming music 24 hours a day. And you can check out the show schedule at the State Theater in Kalamazoo at kazoostate.com. That's K-A-Z-O-O state.com. Yeah, there's a lot going on at each of those things you just listed what are if you don't mind uh, what are a couple of things you've released on dizzy bird records Ooh, well we just celebrated the six-year anniversary of one of my favorite albums it's by hollywood makeout it's called speedo spider and it's the second album in a trilogy where all of the records are creatures in swimwear So the third one came out January 1st, 2020, and that one is Skinny Dipping Scorpion. And then the first album is Bikini Bat. Uh, Speedo Spider is dear to my heart because we rented a riverboat for the album release and everybody had to wear nautical gear or you weren't allowed on the boat. And 
our friend came dressed up as the album artwork, a spider wearing a Speedo. And it was just an unforgettable time. We had a magician and it was just great. So that one is near and dear to my heart. Other artists on the label include Heaters, Cool Ghouls out of San Francisco, Gringo Star out of Atlanta, The Harlequins out of Cincinnati, Las Rosas out of Brooklyn, Grand Rapids Bands, Lazy Genius, Coffin Problem, Bermuda Teenager, Opulent Ardor. There's there's a, a plethora of Michigan acts, but also people that we've met on my music fest ventures. That's sort of how the Gringo Star and Harlequins thing happened is that I met those guys at South by Southwest and we just became friendly and boom, they allowed me to put out a couple of their records. So I feel very fortunate about that. Very cool. Yeah. And some people I forgot about, I don't want to forget about these guys. Out of Fort Wayne, Indiana, Heaven's Gateway Drugs. <laughs> Ooh, that's a great name. <laughs> They're wonderful people. And I met them through Harlequins, I believe, because Fort Wayne and Cincinnati, I, I feel like those guys kind of swap cities and play each other's venues often. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll get those, uh, those acts sometimes find their way up to Kalamazoo here where Jeremy and I are at. True. Well, very cool. There's a, there's a whole lot that you got going on, and we thank you for taking a little bit of time out of all that to uh, talk this OV Right record with us, Nicole. Yeah, thank you so much for the invitation, and I need to apologize for it taking so long to find a date that worked. So thank you for your patience with me. Yeah, for our, for our listeners, this is we've been planning this for months. Yes, yeah, been cooking for a while. <laughs> yeah, but it, you came with a real banger. This is a great record, and uh, yeah. I agree. It's it is very special, and I feel like it was just one of those things where I was in the right place at the right time. Yeah, sometimes that you know it's a great record regardless, but just having like the story of how you found something being so special. Is just a icing on the cake for some records. So I feel like, so, you know, nowadays often it's like, well, I needed uh, like our stories. <laughs> I'm like, well, I knew that I would need another record to talk about on the podcast. And I saw this was $5. So, <laughs> so I bought it. <laughs> yeah, we burned through our good stories already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're almost 200 episodes in. So we, we need. Congratulations, y'all. That's huge. Yeah. Thank you. Four seasons in here. So, yeah. Well, wonderful. Did we have any final thoughts on Ovi Wright before we introduce our final song? I just, I want to mention how often he's been sampled in hip hop. It's pretty crazy, but especially by Wu-Tang and its members. They love Ovi Wright and have sampled him often. Um, I know Ghostface has, I'm trying to think of the song, but I remember hearing it going, ah! <gasps> That's OV. Uh, I just looked it up. Ghostface sampled the title track from this album on his song Motherless mm. Child from 96. There it is. Right. Oh, nice. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah, we do We do like to, to mention samples when we catch them. So good call. And A Nickel and a Nail, his version was sampled by Method Man for the show in 2008. Nice. So Wu-Tang deep into the OV 
right catalog. Wu-Tang Love O.V. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I think that we will get out of here. What song did you select for us to leave on, Nicole? Can we do You Gotta Have Love? There's just a lot of love going on. I know it's I Feel Love Growing, but it's the fifth track on side one, the last track. Yeah, we can do it. Okay, great. Well, thank you for listening to I'd Buy That for a Dollar. I'm co-host Jeremy. I'm co-host Peter. I'm co-host Sean. And I'm guest Nicole Larray Leach. Honorary co-host. <laughs> and album recommender. This <laughs> so